LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today we have a very special episode for pastors and church leaders. You know, as we've been speaking with pastors all around the country, we've heard over and over again about the need to highlight emotional health because let's face it, there's really stressful decisions and heightened isolation going on right now. And we want to provide a timely resource to help pastors slow down and focus on their spiritual and emotional health. And so we have a conversation for you between uh, the LifeWay CEO, Ben Mandrell, and Pete Scazzaro, author of Emotionally Healthy Leader and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So without further ado, let's get to their conversation. Hey, I'm Ben Mandrell with LifeWay, and I am excited today to begin a conversation with Pete Scazzaro, who has written many books, but Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is the one that has impacted my personal life the most. I cannot emphasize enough how important this conversation is right now for pastors. So we're entitling this The Emotionally Healthy Pastor. And Pete, so glad to have you. Why don't you just tell us just a little bit about yourself and your background, and we'll jump right into this conversation. Ben, thank you. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I um, pastored, lead pastor for 26 years at a church in uh, Queens, New York City. And then I've transitioned the last seven uh, years to uh, bringing what we call emotionally healthy discipleship to churches around the world. Uh, and it's really, it's a, it's a way of doing discipleship, a paradigm theologically, et cetera, that deeply transforms leaders and disciples for the sake of the world. And uh, so that's what I'm giving my life to at this point as I remain rooted uh, in our local church. Well, without a doubt, it's a season when people are struggling with emotional health and, you know, we're all out of our rhythms. We're out of our normal schedules that keep us sane. Talk talk to me about what's going on right now with your ministry in light of all this madness. Well, yeah, what's happened to us, Ben, surprisingly is once the pandemic hit, uh, our, the demand for us, you know, our, our stock went way up. All of a sudden, everyone was coming for emotional health and the discipleship leaders and pastors and churches. Uh, I think the pandemic has put a pressure on both leaders and churches that is probably unprecedented in our lifetime. And so it's been a revealer, I think, of what's underneath the surface. And so it's I think it's revealed some of the shallowness, some of the gaps, some of the cracks that we have both in our lives and in our churches. And so I think people are asking questions or hungry, they're uh, struggling and legitimately so, because it's been, it's a really challenging time of upheaval. LifeWay research has revealed that pastors identify loneliness as one of the greatest challenges in their life. So maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Why should pastors focus on emotional health? Unpack that for those pastors who might be listening into this conversation. Again, we have to define it, right? What, what, what do we, we say emotional health? What am I talking about? I mean, we're really talking about leading and serving out of an overflow of your life in Jesus. And so you're deeply aware on an emotional level of yourself uh, of being present to relationships around you, present to God, and you're, you've got a relationship with Jesus that, that's, that's such that you're not in a deficit column. You're, you're actually filled with Jesus. And so you're, you're not giving something you don't possess. You're not giving out of a place of exhaustion. Um, and so we go emotionally healthy discipleship or pastor. We're talking about the whole person, not just 
a compartmentalize or a segment of your humanity, but a whole of your person. Cause we bring the whole of who we are to the people we serve. That's really good. When I was a church planner in Denver, our staff went through your book, emotional, healthy spirituality. And one of the things that so convicted me was just how quick we are as pastors to give ourselves away. That's what we're called to do. We just give, give, give. We say yes as much as we can. And we're not always aware of just how depleted we are. Yes. Uh, have you found that to be true of people in ministry that they're yeah. more depleted than they I think it's the way we're trained, the way we've been developed. So um, uh, you're, you're, we can only give what we give our lives. We give who we are. And so there are limits in our humanity uh, we're not God. And so when we try to be God and, and give more than when we have, we are uh, without embracing the limits that God's put around us. We can talk about that as we go on here. Uh, we violate our God given humanity. We, we violate, we actually end up in a rebellion against God in our service to God. And so that's what happened to me in my early years. I, I was church planting and planted a few churches and, um, and then Every, I was I was exhausted. I was not enjoying Jesus anymore. Uh, I was winning the world, losing my soul. Mar my marriage wasn't going well. And uh, I realized our people we were developing were shallow themselves because we were growing numerically at a speed at which we weren't necessarily developing disciples with any depth. And so I could see that the long-term sustainability of our mission was not going to happen. Uh, and for myself as well. So that's what got me into this I call a theological crisis uh, in the mid nineties that launched me on this journey that we call today emotionally healthy discipleship. Because I realized we have some missing elements in our evangelical discipleship paradigm and they're missing biblical elements. Yeah. Uh, and so out of pain and crisis, God led me on a journey to actually go back to scripture and see some, a number of things that are so significant. Um, if we're going to develop healthy disciples and leaders. And Man, again, you're leaning you're leaning into a subject that is so relevant for pastors who are listening in. I mean, I just think about the scripture above all things, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. How do you, how do pastors like even right now as they're listening, how do they diagnose whether they're emotionally healthy or not? What are some of the warning signs that they're losing emotional health before we get to the positive side? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I would say, am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or an adult? That's the great question. Uh, it's a great, it's a great inventory. It's worth taking because about 15 minutes worth your listeners doing the free inventory on our website, just because you can evaluate where am I, my emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult. Um, I'm sorry, your question was, I lost well, it. How, do, how does a guy out there know that he's not emotionally healthy? What are some of the things that start showing up regularly that maybe the white, your spouse is speaking to, but you're not listening? Yeah, you're, you're, you're always rushing. You're doing more things. You, you always have more things to do than you possibly can get done. Uh, you're probably speaking more than you're listening easily triggered, impatient, tend to be judgmental. You're tired emotionally. You're, you're, you're not doing feelings. You're not present with people. I had one pastor say to me recently, I, have, I don't think I've seen people in three years. And he's been that busy and he's building this church. He goes, I just, I don't have time to see people. I, you know, it's crowds and I'm doing strategy, but I'm not actually present with people. That's a, that's a surefire sign that we like to measure if you're married uh, my wife likes to say, I can, I can basically diagnose the whole church with one question. I just have to ask the spouse, how are you? <laughs> and that answer will tell me a lot. Uh, and yeah, that's why we like to have spouses in the room whenever possible, because you can't lie. If your spouse is in the room, you're going to get the real story. Yeah. And uh, we can, we can self delude very quickly. Um, so I, I, I watch your body, like my body, often our bodies are ahead of our brain. And so j just, 
you know, you feel a tension in your stomach or in your neck or in your back, you, uh, you know, your, your shoulders, your, 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 the tightness in your body, your body's screaming. We like to say the, the body is a major profit, not a minor profit. In other words, so often we're not even aware we're angry, but our body feels it. And uh, so I, I think the, the busyness, the overwhelmness, the overload, the people nearest to us, they feel like we're actually present to them like really seeing them and listening to them, that those are pretty key indicators. You know, we've seen over the last couple of years, some great tragedy with pastors resorting to desperate measures and yes. it's concerning. Uh, so nobody thinks that's going to happen to them. Nobody thinks I'm going to get into such a dark place that I would consider taking my own life. Yeah. So if there's maybe a guy out there right now that realizes he's on the slippery slope, like what, what advice would you give him right now to kind of, how do you start turning that ship? Listen, if you're pastoring and leading a church and you have been for you know a while and you've not wanted to die more than once, you're probably dead somewhere. I mean, it is a challenging calling. All right. Let's not kid ourselves. A pastor and lead a church in the name of Jesus is no small task. No. All right. So very challenging. Um, it's to me, I totally understand why uh, a pastor would kill themselves. I, I get it. Cause you just want to get out. So the same reason pastors have an affair, they have an affair unconsciously to get out. They don't know how to, they don't have the maturity to deal with the crises maybe happening around them on various levels. And so the way to get out of the church I'm going to have an affair. So they have to throw me out. Uh, and so, so, so this is not new. Um, perhaps the suicide is new, uh, in the numbers that we're seeing in the last few years. Uh, but I totally understand that. I, I, I get it. What the, um, this feeling of despair, what Elijah felt that we see in the book of King first Kings, uh, just wanting to die. And, uh, Jeremiah wanted to die. I, I think, you know, Jesus sweat drops of blood onto death. I mean, I think that idea of getting to a place of, I have nothing left. It's not, you're okay. You're not bad. It's actually, you know, God's all in that. I think the question is having a theology big enough to absorb it. And we having a leadership culture that normalizes this, that this is, this is part of maturing and following Jesus. Uh, you're not alone. Like you're not like one in a million. Like, no, we've all, we've been tempted too, just like you have. And that's really, 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 Good stuff. I think one of the challenges of being a pastor, just in my 17 years of doing it, has been Sunday's always coming. Yeah. And as soon as you get one victory, you feel like you're in a deficit to recreate yeah. the experience next week. And yeah. so it's really hard to turn it off. It's really hard to feel like you've arrived. I, I talked to a well-known pastor recently who said he was driving down the road and there was a guy working on a bridge. And he said, I was jealous of that guy. Absolutely. I wish I could get out of the car and just work on a bridge for a while. Yeah. Uh, isn't it hard to measure success in ministry? And that only pushes us to more despair. Absolutely. And, and I think we've got this measurement of success that really reflects the world that's so deep in the church, which is I'm a success if the numbers are up. Uh, I'm success if I'm getting lots of applause and affirmation, you know, and if people see me as great. And so we do this comparison thing. And so that those worldly models of success are so deep in our, again, our Christian leadership culture. Uh, it, it, it's a yoke. It's a heavy yoke. And so, again, I think I think so much gets back to, we've got to deepen our spirituality in these days. And the pandemic is forcing 
the fact of the way we've been doing things, it ain't working anymore. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, in some ways, God took away the, the Sunday experience of, because we can feel great if we have a crowd. Hey, the crowd's here. Everything's good. We may not be making disciples or actually impacting the world in a significant way, but it feels good that there's a full house here and everyone's having, everyone's getting juiced up in Jesus and it all feels good. And, you know, and it, that illusion now is gone. So I'm so glad sudden, you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right. The warm fuzzies that do accompany pastoring are gone. So a lot of guys are feeling depressed. They're feeling discouraged. They're not getting that affirmation. Maybe their wife's unhappy with them because they're not great at home. <laughs> out the dark shadow, which you talk about in your book. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. Because you, you understand, like, like I had one pastor say to me recently, um, at first I thought I didn't like speaking in front of a camera. That was the problem. But then I realized underneath it is what I really miss is I'm not getting any validation. I'm speaking and there's nothing coming back in terms of validation. And now it raises the question, why am I doing this? That's really good. It was all of a sudden, I'm not enjoying this at all. I'm not enjoying preaching. I'm not enjoying preparation. I'm not enjoying pastoring. See, those are, that's a wonderful moment. I think the pandemic is, the gift of it is, uh, our attachments. We are attached. And when you're attached and filled with things that you cling to, that means that there's not an empty space for Jesus to fill. And the invitation of Jesus is to die to self-will, all right, to like what they're saying, rule of, we are to let it all go. We can call it idolatry, attachments. And the invitation of the Christian life is to surrender fully to the will of God. Well, that means like I'm surrendering to the fact that God has just upended American Christianity in particular. He just, he just, he just upended it. And so, There's somebody listening in who, who went to seminary and he got the course that said, just preach the word. That's all Paul said to Timothy, just preach the word in season and out of season. It's all you got to do. The word does the work. So, I mean, in what ways is preaching overemphasized, do you think, in the church? Like we've maybe not done enough work with relationships. We've relied too heavily on the preaching element, which now is somewhat reduced. Yes. And we've depended, we've been, we've allowed ourselves to build churches and not really know what's going on deep inside people's lives. Wow. Cause you know, you can be preaching and you're doing the general broad stuff, but you really don't know what's happening in, Oh, that marriage, they haven't had a sexual relationship between the man and wife in, you know, three years, or they've got two cutoffs with their kids or who was raped as a teenager. And as a result is carrying all these cars. I mean, just the stuff people are carrying is so enormous. Uh, behind the scenes and preaching, Jesus knew preaching wasn't going to make disciples. I mean, he, he, he did, he preached, but he understood the limits of preaching. Yeah. He invested in 12 very thoughtfully and carefully over three years. That's why disciple making is really hard. I mean, that, that, that that's our task. And so preaching has got to fit into a larger hole. It's not the whole. And so the problem is you're right. It, we overemphasize it because, well, obviously it's glamorous. It's, you know, lots of things about it, but, um, I believe in preaching. I think it's important, but it's sure not, you don't build a church on preaching, but we do because we're so, again, we're measuring numbers as success and no success is doing the will of God and becoming the person God's called you to be. Period. I want to dig in there. In the, in the early part of emotionally healthy spirituality, you, you do talk about the difference between spiritual disciplines and emotional health. And I, I think this is something we don't talk enough about in, as pastors. Um, you know, you can be doing your devotions, you can be attending worship, listening to a, a worship playlist 
in your ear 24 yeah. hours a day and still not be doing the hard work of emotional health. So maybe distinguish between those two things for just a second. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, when I when we use the word emotional health, what, what I'm referring to is is a number of biblical themes that we ignore. For this is, the, this is now a big. I don't want to go down this road, Ben. Which for many reasons uh, we ignore or don't pay attention to in evangelical church in the church, especially in the 21st century. So, for example, um, you know, I was very disciplined. Listen, I was. Yeah, 17 years, a Christ follower, intervarsity staff person, you know, seminary, very committed to, you know, spiritual practices, um, both my wife and I. But we were, um, our discipleship had gaps. For example, we did not have relationships really well. I mean, we came out of a family of origin, both of us, uh, like every family of origin with lots of gaps. Our discipleship never dealt with those. So I, I didn't do grief and loss and feelings. I was a typical guy. I did do, 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 get it done. My worth is in my, my value is in what I did. And um, that's how I ran the church. I preached grace, but I lived law. My value was in what I did, what I performed, how the thing was growing. But I was so unaware of my family of origin impacted my present. And so what happened was it was very shallow. Uh, my marriage, I did marriage. I preached Ephesians 5, but I did marriage the way the Scazzaros did. That's all I knew. It was in my, we had to say Jesus is in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. In other words, like, like, so I, we didn't deal with that. I didn't do, I didn't do sadness. I didn't do fear. I didn't do vulnerability. Uh, they just, they didn't, they were like, they weren't, I just, we didn't do, men didn't do that, you know, and women did it if they did it at all. Um, I, I didn't know limits. I didn't have a theology of limits. I just thought bigger, better, faster, but that's more American than it is biblical. Yeah. The story isn't in scripture that way. Um, so there was a number of, you know, ma making love the measure of spiritual maturity. No, 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 no. Love, humility, brokenness, like, like first Corinthians 13 stuff. Like who was I going to commit adultery and murder and write a Psalm about it and put it in Psalm 51 to be sung in all the churches? Heck no, I'm leading out of my success, you know, and, and I'm leading out of my gifts, not out of my brokenness like David did or like Paul did in second Corinthians 12. Like I, my, so I, I think what happened to me was I crashed, almost came to a being another statistic when I was in my mid to late thirties, God, rescued us and met us in an incredible way. And that's when Ben, so many scriptures opened up to me and I said, how the heck did I miss all this? And I had to go back to my professors and I wanted to understand the history of how could it be that I was a evangelical poster child planting churches successful by, by the church's view but yet I almost lost my marriage, left ministry. Uh, I know people have left Jesus uh, because they got so disillusioned at the pastoring and leading and getting shot, shot and beat up. Right. Uh, and uh, I knew by the grace of God, I, I, by the grace of God, we didn't just survive. We were flourishing. And so that's what got me on this long biblical quest and historical quest of how did we get here? So this isn't like, oh, let me give you a few verses or a program. We're going to fix you. No, we're talking about a new operating system of of how we approach leadership and discipleship uh, that is vastly different. I am convinced, Ben, that this pandemic is a gift, gift to the church um, and retooling for the sake of the glory of Jesus and the mission of Jesus uh, going forward. Because I think that the signs have all been there, the bankruptcy and the emptiness 
of scandal after scandal. I said to people, this scandal thing is not going to change. It's been happening since I've been a Christian 44 years. It's been happening since I came to Christ. It's nothing new. It's just more public because of social media and, you know, our, our communications abilities are way beyond what they were 40 years ago. But this is not new. This is new. Can I ask you about social media? Can we talk about that as it relates to emotional health? Because yeah. I think the snare of compare has never been more of a temptation than it is today for pastors. Yeah. You know, we already feel bad about ourselves. The sermon didn't come out as great as we thought last week. People didn't affirm me. Maybe they were criticizing me. Staff aren't behaving the way I want them to. And then on top of that, nobody's following me on social media. <laughs> yeah. how, how does a pastor, even, even with that, with a tool like social media that can be used for so many good things, how are you seeing that maybe even having negative effect on pastors? How do you recommend pastors use that? Yeah, I, listen, the issue of envy or comparison, it's, its again, social media accentuates it, but it's not new. Right. I would see that as an invitation from God for you. Now, to understand, we want to get to a place where we're living in loving union with Jesus in such a depth that we're free people. Do you understand? Well, we're not... We're actually free. Uh, we rejoice the guy's got 100,000 Twitter followers. We're actually happy that guy down the street's got 2,000 people and I've got 45. Because I'm, I'm, I'm being me and I'm following Jesus and stewarding what he's given me. And I'm really happy that the kingdom of God's expanding over there. Like, how do I get to that place? Well, we're talking about a, you know, a John the Baptist depth of spirituality where when John the Baptist is losing his followers... And they're all going to Jesus. They, John, they're all going to Jesus. John chapter three. And John simply says, well, a person can receive only what's given him from heaven and he must increase and I must decrease. And that was it. And so his ministry went down, but he was fine. He was great. He, he, he embraced his limits. And I, and I think there's a whole, I, I, I'm telling you the Twitter thing and I do Twitter and Facebook. It's, it's a temptation of the evil one. Satan's temptations of Jesus in the wilderness are the same ones since the beginning of time that have been coming to followers of the living God. They are the temptation of, you know, my popular, am I relevant, am I powerful, are people noticing me, am I great? Those are the temptations. And so it's going to require a depth of relationship with Jesus. And that's, let's go to that issue. Cause if I'm so busy, you don't have time for a depth of relationship. Right. You're preaching things you're not living. You're saying things because they're true. And you're pointing people to places that you've not gone in your own journey with Jesus. And that's not transformative. And so to understand everything's shallow. And I think that's, that's what happened to me. I, I was so busy building the church that my depth was minimal. And so crises are gifts from God to get our attention slap us in the face that I've got to make some serious life adjustments. What's um, so hard about ministry, and I experienced this the most as a church planter, is that it consumes your whole marriage. It consumes your whole family. Like Lindley and I, my wife and I, we would sit down for a date and we would just talk about church. We would just, we'd have staff meetings, start trying to fix things and troubleshoot problems in the church or whatnot. And it's just so hard to separate yourself from the ministry. It becomes all of you. I wonder if you couldn't even tell a story, uh, Pete, how have you guys been able to get away from that mentality over the years? Maybe there's a moment where it changed for you, for that pastor who's out there who's struggling to, to separate his identity from what he does. Yeah, yeah. You know, how'd that yeah. work for you? 
So, so again, for me, and I, I don't think it, ha- it does. I can tell you, it doesn't have to be this way. But for me, it came through pain. It was pure pain. In other words, and I'd been pastoring at that point seven or eight years, maybe eight years. We had planted three, four churches, uh, and the pain point was so great that I could not go. I knew I couldn't keep going. Uh, God, you know, you know, when Paul says, when, when it says about Paul, you, um, you know, God finally knocked Paul off his horse, you know, and I, I've, God just knocked me off the horse. So my wife quit the church. She was fed up. Um, I couldn't keep going. She started going to another church. It wasn't leaving me, but she says, I'm not participating in this pathology anymore. She was so tired. Bad thing, by the way, if you're listening in, if your wife starts attending another church, there's an issue. Yeah, and she, and what she was leaving was she knew I wasn't, I didn't have the guts and the integrity to confront some of the people that needed to be confronted. And they were gifted getting the thing done, but they weren't necessarily living out. They weren't like in, in gross immorality, but they weren't living out necessarily. They didn't, have the, they didn't have the character commensurate with their gifting and platform. And she saw it. And she says, I was not going to call it out. She goes, I'm not going to sit here in the first row anymore. I'm going to another church. But after, because you, you can't bear, if you call them out, you know, they're going to leave. And you're still recovering from the 200 people that left in that church split, you know, two years ago. And so I'm just going to go to the church and, you know, you decide to do what you want to do. Uh, and so that, so my, the way I got into this was pain, but I don't believe that's the way you need to go into it. I, I think we go into it. And I, this, I've been working with pastors now in this for 26 years is, is a biblical paradigm. So in other words, for example, uh, let's take Sabbath. Let's take Sabbath. Okay. So uh, your life is your ministry. You're in a day and night. That is not the ministry's fault that there's not a boundary around that. It's a theological problem because your life is not ministry. Your life, first of all, is Jesus. Okay, so I got to make a distinction of my life in Jesus and the fact that I'm a vocational pastor leading people. Um, and so I have a marriage. I've made a vow to be married to my spouse. It means we don't talk about the church. We have, we have a relationship of oneness that reflects the oneness of my oneness with Jesus. So that needs protection and a boundary around it. So I, I mean, pastors who don't do Sabbath, I'm just like, that's a, that's a clear oil light. Your life's out of control because Sabbath is a spiritual practice, much like prayer and Bible. So that's indispensable for the Christian life. You're not saved by Sabbath. You're not saved by praying. You're not saved by Bible study, but you're not Sabbathing. You're not praying. You're not doing Bible study. Something's out of whack. And uh, it's a core spiritual formation discipline, but I'm talking about a 24 hour period that you don't do your work. You don't think about church. You don't make decisions about it. You don't talk about it. It's just, it's out. You have a life. You delight in the beauty of God and creation. You, you know, you, your, your parent, you're, you're like, your life is not church. Cause then, then you know what happens? Then you can never let it go for somebody else. And that's why successions go so poorly most of the time, because the, the, the identity and the role is, is so fused. Right. And so what happens is they take the whole church down. They build it for 20, 30 years and they take the whole thing down because they can't let it go. Do you understand? But that's a, that's a spiritual formation issue. That's not about, oh, let me get the seven steps to do a healthy succession process. No, you can, write a, you can get a book on succession. It's your inner character is the question. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you say, which I think is fascinating, is that you're helping the church speed up by slowing down. Uh, you know, you would think pastors would be resting in this season of pandemic. I don't get the sense that they are. I, I think they're restless and struggling to rest. 
So how do you, how do you help a guy out there that's so ambitious, so driven, he's used to building the church and now he doesn't know what to do with himself. How does he slow down? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that people are, pastors are busier than early before, because now as one pastor said to me a couple weeks ago, I feel like my church is slipping through my fingers. I can't hold on to it. Yeah. So you got pastors now trying to, very active, you know, trying to call everybody and it, you can't hold on to it the way it was. So it's very disheartening. So the reason you, you, again, there's limits to your work. Your life is not work. Your life is God. And we were built for a rhythm of work and rest. So we, we need to be, first of all, here's my first limit. My first limit is what do I need to have a being with God that's overflowing? terms of my devotions, time with him, rest, all, what, what do I need? So I, I, that's a chunk of time. Then I got my wife to have a great marriage. I lead out of my marriage. If you're married, like my, your marriage relationship is core. I haven't gotten to church yet. Okay. What is the time does that need to be cultivated? And again, it's a whole theology of marriage that my marriage is meant to be a sign and a wonder that points to Jesus. Well, that's a theology. It's not like, oh, let me just keep it stable so I can build the church. No, no, no. Your marriage is a microcosm of the love of God for the world. So I, I want to model that for the folks around me. So I got to have a life I've got, and then I lead the church and there are limits to how much time I have to do that. So I got to set priorities, but, and I've got to be able to let go again, we're back to attachments. I'm detaching. I'm letting go of, I'm my life is surrendered to God. So the church went from 500 to 200. We're going to come back from the pandemic. We're not going to have the size we had. If you had 75, you may have less, but okay. It's okay because my life is not numbers of people sitting in a pew. My life is Jesus. And so the fact that you're feeling lousy about it, that's beautiful because it's God. The Holy Spirit's coming to you. He loves you and he wants to free you from performance and impressing anybody and all that, that you actually can have joy in Jesus with five people in a row. Hmm. Someone tells me, I got to preach. I got to preach, Pastor Pete. I'm saying, what's that about? I don't even get it. Like, I don't, why? I mean, can you preach to five people? Can does that count or half? Well, I don't have to do anything. I mean, I want to follow Jesus. I'm out. I mean, if I'm washing dishes, I'm fine. I'm like, whatever he wants me to do is what I'm going to do with that season. I, I don't get that. And I think that's where this pandemic is a, is a stripping for us. Well, maybe we can talk about the difference just for a few minutes between godly ambition and ambition. I mean, I know Paul says those who aspire to be overseers, they aspire to a, a noble task. So there is a place for that drive, that, you know, that Peter personality that wants to build and work and sweat. Uh, so how do we as pastors, how do you balance godly ambition with ambition? I mean, because it just seems to go so easily over the line into workaholism, workaholism and all the other things that go with that. And how do you know your ambition is not your dark side you know are you really speaking that vision from the mouth of god or is it from you right are you words in god's mouth and is this really about you or is it about god so um you know i think there's a there's a theology that says okay we have the great commission and we'll let's get pray god lead us and guide us and every opportunity we take it and go for it that's the attitude let's meet all take our gifts and steward it together and do everything we can to reach as many people for christ I don't think it's biblical. I, I said not biblical. Jesus did. G Jesus followed the Father's timetable, the Father's plan. If you're in Saudi Arabia, your ministry is going to be different than if you're a tent maker in North Africa, or if you're in the Sudan, or if you're in 
um, you know, a Muslim part of Malaysia. In other words, if you're in a more, you know, a Mormon section of the country, which is more challenging than say a Bible belt, I mean, you just, every, every situation is going to be different and, I, and, I, and, and your personality, your temperament, your calling is different. So the ministry has got to flow out how God uniquely made you. And I, ambition, I, I don't think ambitions, you know, it's, it's a desire for something, but our first ambition has got to be a desire for God and his will. But let's go back to that. God and his will, period. And that means that I've got to always die to my ambitions personally. I want to grow my church. I want to plant 50 churches. Okay. I had a lot of it. I, listen, I had a lot of ambitions in my early days that were pure Pete Scazzaro fish. Pete wanting to be famous for what he does, Pete. Absolutely. Or, you know, I, I, want, to, I want to save the whole world. And I was in the inner city among the poor. I'm like, I want to make this happen. But like, I'm not, and I, I overthought, I, I had a way bigger view of myself than God. Did. Like, I'm not God. Like, Pete, you got a little piece to play. You're going to, in an eternal scheme of things, right? My, my little church and we're being faithful and I do my piece, but God has got a huge plan going on. But I think, I think the humility is being able to say, I, I just, I just hold it all before the father all the time. So that's why discernment is so important. What is God saying to me? Now, what's he asking me to do? And I think that's that whole discernment, slowing down enough to actually hear him and listen. And then as a team to do that, I don't think we do a lot of that. We're just kind of, we're just racing forward. And I think it's been, let's have a great weekend. That's been a big thrust. And I think that's- One of the things you've said that, man, it's so convicting is just, we preach grace, but we live law. And we hold ourselves to these really high standards and we expect to be at a certain certain height and- yeah. And then when we don't hit the mark, we feel like we failed. Yes. You know, I think one of the things I love about UP, even in your books, this is our first time talking face to face, but I feel like I've known you for years because you're very authentic and you're very transparent and you've learned a lot by making a lot of mistakes. Yes. <laughs> if you were talking to a hotshot young preacher right out of seminary, the sky's the limit for that guy. What do you say to him? What warning do you offer him about the future? I would... You know what I would say to him? You ever heard of Robert Clinton? He used to be a professor at Fuller Seminary. Okay. And he wrote a book called The Making of a Leader. And he studied leadership over the centuries and in scripture. And this thing's called published by Nav Press. But and basically, here's what he basically concluded. There was many conclusions. So the first 15 to 20 years that you're in vocational ministry, the primary work God is doing is in you, not through you. Hmm. And if you're faithful and go through the tests and dark nights that God's going to bring you through as a leader, you will bear fruit later in life in your fifties and sixties and seventies. Then you'll really be in a place to bear fruit because it'll come out of who you are. And I would say to any young leader listening to me that you may think at, you know, 30 or 40, like this is, this is, I got to do it now because I'm peaking right now. Not in the biblical sense of the word, you're not peaking. It's like my wife and I joke around, folks who are young that just get married um, expect to have a great sex life, you know, and because they're physically maybe able to do certain things or whatever. But say, you know, to have a great sex life over decades takes such maturity. It's not even possible to have that in your 20s. Like, you know, you're going to grow into it if you're growing in your relationship over decades. But because it's, it's lovemaking. It's not position, it's love making. Okay. And same thing with leadership. Like, what a comparison I'm making, huh? <laughs> Jump to that one. Uh, but 
you're as a young leader, it's wonderful. You have dreams and visions. I'm not like acts too. It's wonderful. Uh, but they need to be disciplined, restrained. Uh, you need silence. You need solitude. You need a lot of time for your formation. Um, to, to guard against excesses, uh, or else you're a fool. If you trust yourself that much, you're a fool. And believe me, you will come back because you're going to hit, you're going to crash. You're going to hit walls. You're going to get stuck. And uh, so you may not want to, you may want to jump past all the difficulties. Look at, all, look at the life of Abraham, the father of us all, what he had to go through, right? To, to become the father of nations. Well, you think you're exempt from that process. You think you're exempt from the process the disciples went through of death, of you know, good of Good Friday and the cross. You, you gotta skip the cross and just jump to Easter. I mean, no. And you think, oh, I had I had a cross. It took me, you know, it took me two years to get to this number of people. I had people say nasty things about me. And you have no idea what it's gonna mean to go through a dark night of the soul mm-hmm. when you really do want to die and you're hanging, you don't feel anything about for Jesus, you're just like, you're like John of the Crosses. You're just, you're hanging on for dear life for Jesus because everything you thought about him, you don't know where he is, what he's doing, where he's going. That's the Christian life. And so every young leader has got to go through that. You, 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 you're not exempt. But if you're so busy, do you skip it all? Well, I'm just telling you, I've been around long enough to know you're, you're going to come back because you've got to grow up and become a mother and father to faith. And there is no shortcut to that. There is, there's no book you're going to read for that. No one can do it for you. And uh, I think the slowing down, just take it slow, relax. Um, If you get everything you're asking for, it'll be a disaster. And most of our prayers are really, they're like, they're really, they are our prayers. They're like, we we want God to get these things done for us. You know, get me another worship leader, bring me 10 laborers. I'm mad at this person because we have an agenda. Yeah. And it may not be God's agenda. So as we get ready to close up shop here, a couple of things, just Pete, I'd love for you to, anything you want to say to pastors right now in the midst of this, that's on your heart. Like, what are you, what are you, what's the message right now you're sending to church leaders? I think your number one ministry is yourself right now. You, you have to get a rhythm in your life. And I like to break up the rhythm into four areas, prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And because if you can't lead yourself, which is not easy to do right now, you're not gonna be able to lead other people. So the most important person to lead right now is you, because there's so much pressure. And it seems like, quote, things are falling apart around you. And there's so, so much uncertainty. So your greatest task, one, is to walk in Jesus, walk with Jesus and, and experience his peace uh, that is not of this world. That's no small task. So what do you need for that to happen? Now, I know I need certain things. I'm trusting Sabbath is in there. I need silence each day. I need scripture. I, I need chunks of time. I do daily offices, morning, midday, evening. I've got things built in, right? So uh, I'm limiting my work uh, as well. Then what do I need in terms of um, uh, rest? You know, what do I need built? I do exercise. You know, what are some things I need for that? For you to have a, again, you're, you're leading out of a cup that's full, not empty. And then what do you need in terms of your relationships? And then in terms of then your work, what's left over here? But you can't do it all. You're not God. The point is, I'm human. God is God. And when you die, the world's going to go on just fine without you. So I think that's my number one counsel to you is, is get yourself a rhythm 
and not, and it's going to, you have to, you know, adjust it, but that is number one for you. Uh, and then it is, that's what you can get a rhythm. That's number one. You need time to grieve the losses. There's a lot of loss going on right now. There's a lot of losses, um, on so many different levels. So if you don't grieve your losses, we have a whole book, we have a whole book called lamentations, you know, two thirds of the Psalms are laments of losses. Jesus was called man of sorrow. A lot in the Bible about losses. Our people are going through all kinds of losses. We have to go through our own so we can help them. But you know, we got to go first so we can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. Hmm. And But I'm saying it's okay, you're in upheaval, but this is a time to, uh, it's not selfish to put yourself first. It's actually unselfish hmm. because you're doing it for the sake of your people, your leading, the church and the world. Good. As we close, Pete, would you mind just voicing a prayer for the pastors who are chiming in right now, who maybe some of them are really struggling. Many of many of the things you said, I'm sure were very convicting. They were for me. Just lift up pastors who are listening and, we, and we'll close with that. Would you mind doing that? Honored to do that. So, uh, you know, and thank you all for leading. Thank you for shepherding uh, Jesus's church. He loves his church, right? This is my body. I mean, he, he you know, do you love me? Feed my sheep. So I, let, please let you see this prayer is, you know, from God. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you and may he keep his, make his face shine on you. And may the Lord grant you the, the grace and the power to slow down and to hear his voice on making one or two adjustments uh, that will enable you to be grounded and not swept up by the news and events swirling around you. And may you then, out of being grounded as a shepherd, may you be able to lead your sheep to Jesus uh, in these days and help them stay grounded as well. And uh, so be blessed, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pete, thanks for joining us. And thanks for doing what you do, just ministering to the ministers. You've made a huge difference in my life. And I know many people who are listening in. And so great to see you. And thanks for encouraging us today. Thank you very much. Great to be with you.